Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey guys, it's Kayla. I'm so happy you're able to join us today because we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. Have you ever wanted to write a love letter? And when I just asked you that, who popped into your mind? Writing a letter, especially a love letter, isn't a common occurrence these days. Or is it? According to today's guest, it is. In fact, it's what she's based her entire life on. Meredith Goldstein is a longtime advice columnist at the Boston Globe. Her advice column, Love Letters, is a daily dispatch of wisdom for the lovelorn that has been running for more than a decade. Meredith lives in Boston with a Batman doll and a cotton candy machine. She loves tips on all things relationships and entertainment. Her memoir, can't Help Myself, Lessons and Confessions from a Modern Advice Columnist is out now, and I could not recommend it more. Without further ado, here is my lovely conversation with Meredith Goldstein. And I am here with Meredith Goldstein. Meredith, I 
am a huge fan of your memoir, Love Letters. What a beautiful memoir it is and what a way to live. I mean, being there, helping others through some of the toughest times in their lives. We have so much to discuss and I want to start at the beginning. Um, talk to us about how your column, Love Letters, came about, the breakup that drove you to start Love Letters that really just began as a local initiative that really just began as a local advice column, basically group therapy with a comments section. And then it really took on a life of its own and became a, a family, a community, really your family. So this was, you know, of course, it would happen to be that I would be dumped right as I'm starting an advice column. <laughs> this is what happens, right? So I was the kind of person who thought, you know, I was really put together. I hadn't prioritized romantic relationships a ton. But I, you know, I, it was just right at that point that I was feeling confident about everything. Uh, I get dumped. <laughs> and then I have to start giving other people advice when I am so low and so in breakup mode that it really was trouble troubling to get out of bed. So yeah. And so I basically started a Boston Globe advice column. And one of the reasons I did was because I had been a journalist for years, writing about relationships, writing about social trends and uh, new media, which at the time, even Facebook felt kind of new to non-college students. Mm -hmm. And Boston was such a small town city. I'm not from Boston, but it was for that reason that I was like, wow, everybody here knows each other, it seems. And I was from the DC, Baltimore area. And I was like, we don't have that same, oh, everybody knows everybody kind of thing. So mm. I just felt like if people were writing in to a local advice column, they would all feel like they probably secretly knew who the letter writer was. And that did last for a little bit. But then, of course, you know, with the internet as it goes, the column becomes more national. But there are some people who've been commenting with their own advice on that column for 13 years now. Yeah, I, I noticed a ton of people wrote in all the time and you wrote how everyone had horrible date stories and relationship stories. And um, one of the most commonly asked questions was, when will I receive an I love you? I mean, you wrote you could write a whole spinoff of this question alone. And so many people wrote in. So what advice do you have for those that are currently waiting for this? And and was it primarily those who identify as female asking this? Or was it also people who identify as male asking, a, waiting for an I love you? I think there is, you know, I don't want to gender it, but I will say most of the letter, right? Most of the letters that came in were from women, especially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say that it's mostly women who are waiting for those three words. But it was the people who took the time to write in, made themselves vulnerable. Uh, it, but I think this is something we all struggle with. And when am I going to when am I going to get the validation I need to know that I'm in this for a good reason? And the weird thing is, I was coming from the perspective of someone who does not throw "I love you" around very much. In fact, I can't remember the last time I said it to some of my closest family members, and that's in an unromantic way. But like in any way, I just. I'm not withholding. I just am like, what does it mean? Some people say mm. it after three weeks and they might mean it. And some people say it after 10 years and it's going to mean something else. So I was a very um, conservative advice giver about, hey, listen, just because you're not hearing it doesn't mean they don't feel it or they don't feel what you're feeling. It's just, you know, it's like one phrase for so many different emotions. And I think mm. saying it after eight years of marriage is probably different than saying it after one. <laughs> Oh, I agree completely. Yes, I can attest to that. Yes. I was just going to say, you would, I know, proof. <laughs> you would know more about that than I would, but from, from firsthand experience. But yeah, like, so, so I like people to get specific. Like, 
if you can't say I love you, say what you know, which is I don't I hope this doesn't go anywhere anytime soon. Or I love hanging out with you or you are such Uh, good company like that should count for something. You know, it's really interesting because um, you talk about how suddenly you found yourself with real comments and emails from real people. And, you know, you start this column thinking, oh, yes, I'm going to be really good at this. This is great. I'll, you know, give advice to people. And But it really did end up becoming, as you said, like a worldwide phenomenon. People were writing in from all over the globe, crowdsourcing their love lives, you at the center of it all. And you know, when ideas come to fruition, there is a pressure there. And um, you handled it beautifully and you write about it. But talk to us about what that was like in the beginning. I think there's advice column culture that I knew but wasn't really firsthand ready for, which is that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't even wonder what qualifies you. I'm a journalist. I'm not a mental health professional. And yet people, the minute they saw, oh, new advice column, they're like, oh, by the way, I just cheated on my spouse. What should I do? Or I'm so miserable or, you know, really intimate things. So they're looking for a new voice. They're looking for a different lens. So I also think that some people who write to me also write to other advice columnists as well, which is interesting too. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, maybe if I didn't get the answer I want, I'll go to you. So in the beginning, especially though, the idea that a letter could come from outside my community and from another country, from someone much older than me, from someone younger, it was just really, um, you know, you'll be interested to know that no matter what, and now I've been doing this for like 13 years, the 30s are the most frequent time that people write in. Mm -hmm. And now that Mm -hmm. I'm in my 40s, I'm like, oh, well, I know why. Right. And it's like time. Yeah, I, I really feel and when I listen to your podcast, I think so much about how complicated it is as a decade. And you can't generalize. Everybody has different experiences at different ages. But I think in my 40s, I, I, when I newly entered them, I was like, oh, there's a new acceptance of, I might never figure it out. And then you kind of make peace with it where you're like, oh, I get it. But a lot of my 30s was spent thinking, well, if I make one wrong move, I'm on a wrong path. And mm-hmm. there can be mistakes and there are do-overs. And am I doing it right? And am I doing it right is a question that so many people are asking. So it is not surprising to me that even now, so many of the letter writers are like exactly 35. Wow. Right, they're right, so in, right the in the mid 30s. Yes, right in the thick of it. And that is why this podcast was started. I mean, we really felt like we had no direction and we wanted to figure it out. And it's so nice to hear that on the other side, you still don't have it figured out, but that it's okay and that you're okay with oh. it. And you are just accepting of yourself as is because that is the goal, right? To know and love yourself enough to just accept all the messiness and the beauty piled in together. Yeah. And especially, you know, yes, uh, it it is really nice. Like, and it doesn't mean I don't have bad days where I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Am I doing, you know, good. Okay. (laughs) Second guess. It doesn't all magically go away. But there was something about 30s where it was the last moment that I could make peer comparisons where, oh, this person's married with kids, but I didn't think I wanted to do that. And then I, well, what was I going to change my mind? Oh, no. What if I do change my mind? It felt like uh, this ticking clock of not just, and I don't mean that in a biological way, I mean that in just a life way of, yes. well, if I prioritize career now at the expense of romantic relationships, have I, have I screwed up, you know? And it, it I don't feel that as much in my 40s. It is. So it is really interesting to listen to the podcast and think, well, what are the things that still 
affect me and what are the things that don't so much, especially hearing from you where I think a lot of people spend their younger years trying to find their passion. What am I good at? What do I want to pursue? And, you know, you've spoken about this. This is something Mm -hmm. you had a a field, right? Pretty. So, Mm -hmm. so what does that, so what does it mean to say, oh, there's more to me than this, but to have that knowledge about yourself. You know, so many people who write into their 20s are still figuring out to me like what they're even doing professionally and can they date while pursuing a career. So I think it's just uh, 30s are, I'm here to say, (laughs) presents to all of you who are in your 30s. You're doing it. You're doing the best you can. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for saying that and for bringing that perspective to this podcast because that is not something we've really discussed before is what does it look like on the other side of your 30s. And, And it's so nice to know that we have something to look forward to. You do. Okay. I promise you do. And I'm not saying again that it won't be difficult. And now I feel like grandma where I'm coming in from my no, 40s. I'm stop, like, stop. But, but I, I remember when I turned 40, there's a writer, Wesley Morris, who writes for the New York Times and he's brilliant. And he said to me, you know, you go from being the oldest young person to the youngest old person. And I have to tell you, I turned 40 and I was like, I'm a baby. <laughs> <gasps> wow. I, I was like, oh, I am the youngest old person. <laughs> and oh, that, uh, that gives you a nice moment, too, where where it just is like, oh, OK, because I think that approaching a 42 is like this cloud, this weird cloud. I mean, yes, you know, it's interesting because I am 37. So I'm on the tail, the, you know, the uh, higher end of 30s and I'll be 38 in in a few months. And so 40 is obviously looming, but I don't know if it's necessarily looming, you know, as a dark cloud. It's kind of looming as like maybe a gray cloud, but then there's sunshine poking through. And so there's hope there and I'm excited about it. And I truly, this sounds so cliche, but I really do think age is just a number. And it's one of those things where it can affect you. You can allow it to affect you or you can accept it and move on and know that it doesn't define you and that it's a part of you, but it is not everything. And that's such a good example of, you know, you, what I would like to talk about is how your relationship with your mother throughout all of this, because she is such a beautiful through line in your memoir. And, um, you know, it starts out as you gave advice to your mom, you know, telling her to be creative in her sex and love life. I mean, that's not a normal mother daughter relationship. And I'm, I'm fascinated by it. In fact, maybe a, a, a tad jealous of it because I did not have that type of relationship with my mom. And I'm just fascinated with your peer-like relationship with your mother. And I'm wondering how much influence do you think your relationship with your mom had on your career and your love letters column? It's a great question because I think advice columnists in general, we're generally not mental health professionals. We are often writers, journalists, but something makes us different. And that could be that a lot of us have just a weird um, fixation on how other people are are doing things. So, uh, you know, how are they living their lives? How can that inform what I do with my life? And my mother got divorced. And she was actually one of the first people in that era to be divorced in my neighborhood. You know, this was like early 90s. And she was dating. She was trying to date. There wasn't much internet at the time. And she didn't really have a group of friends that she felt like she could go to to say, hey, how do I do this? How do I navigate dating as a single parent. So she looked at her teenage daughter and said, what do you think? 
And of course, I had opinions. I pretended I knew knew everything. And I think over time, though, mostly I just listened. And when you have a more peer-like relationship with an adult, even in just a few moments, because it was, you know, she was still my mom and she could, you know, ground me if she wanted to. But but seeing her as a human, as like a real person who wasn't just a parent at that age did seem unique. Because I think for a lot of people, it takes them until they are adults to say, oh, my mom is more than just my mom. She's like a woman person who has all sorts of layers beyond just her relationship to me. So I kind of began to see everybody that way as people who were probably struggling but not admitting it, people who might need help from a friend. And I think that carried through high school, college, beyond college, and entering journalism, especially at the Boston Globe, right, where it's a, a, you know, we had a movie made about the Globe about an investigative journalism team. Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, but I just want to help people with their love problems, (laughs) which is important, too. It is important. And it it fell in line with the kind of writing and journalism I wanted to do. So with Love Letters, yes, it was not only influenced by my mom and the conversations we had, but also it gave me some confidence to address issues I had never experienced. And even to this day, what I experienced with her and the conversations I had with her inform a lot of my advice. You know, forgiving Mm -hmm. myself for not knowing what to do, forgiving other people, understanding that in the moment they might write me a letter where every line is about how terrible their boyfriend is, but they might not be ready to break up with them. Mm -hmm. And you can't say, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, so Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I, I think, when I meet other advice columnists, we generally have a period in our history that's like this, whether it's with a mother, a friend, something that really clicked with us about how to care about other people the way we hope we care about ourselves, if that makes sense. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. we're back were you someone growing up that everyone just spilled their special stories to their secret most secretive stories i thought when i was younger that everybody did that with everybody so Uh i think i was and i had no idea that what i was really getting was a level of intimacy that might not have been (laughs) matched but i also gave them plenty too um so i think you know i'm at the risk of being self-deprecating, like, so yeah, I will sometimes say, let me tell you the thing that's on my mind, even if it's really uncomfortable, and that lets somebody else say, oh, boy, do I have, like, something to tell you. So I think looking back, I probably knew a lot of things that other people didn't, but I just thought we were all that open with each other. I mean, that's incredible, though. That's And even just creating a space where someone feels comfortable enough to go there, not everyone can do that. People try to do that in their lifetimes and cannot do that, and it seems like it's just innately in you, and so it therefore love letters that's why it, it was it just seems like it took off so instantaneously and then just continued to thrive through so much of your life but is it exhausting to be everyone's virtual bff i mean i mean your mom included but like why does everyone love drama so much and do you think anonymity is a part of that i think that you know anonymity is a good question because when i started the column you know some people are ask whatever and and um i knew i was going to be meredith pretty myself very quickly. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I wonder if I knew what it would feel like, would I have used my real name now? And I think the answer is yes, but I didn't know the internet was going to become what I mean, this was Twitter was like barely happening. This is, you know, it's just a much more dangerous place for women online. And, you know, just in the way you have to make all these decisions. So, but it can be tiring. I think it can also be beautiful. Like, I mean, not to spoil books or anything, but I think pretty quickly, like, you know, my mother did pass away. And when she died, I was able to call on that same community for support. Like, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I want to call my ex-boyfriends and get their support. I want to, I want to act out. I don't know what to do with my grief. You readers help me. And, you know, online can be such a terrible place so often. And yet it can also be 
a great place for community. And I think this is something you hit on a lot too. It's like, how do we use these connections, especially now as things keep evolving and evolving to get the support we need without feeling like we're less safe or less supported? Right. No, I like I told you, I, I listened to your book on Audible and the part um, that we are spoiling. For I know, those, but I don't still, know. Still absolutely read the book. I mean, it is it is phenomenal. This is just a small part of the entire memoir. But your community is so beautiful and lovely to you at the end when you're suffering and going through what you've been through. It's just so clear what an impact you have made on everyone else uh, to the point where there's there's a couple who met in your community that are now married. In the comment section, which you really think would be a trash <laughs> fire. And we've had, I think now, two marriages that came out of people who met in the comment section over 13 years, which is bizarre to me. That was never my intention, but it's a nice, it's a nice side thing that happened. Absolutely it is. Will you share with our listeners the nucleus and your theory around it? Because I think this is so um, amazing and I'd never thought of it that way, but it, there's, it's so true. So in probably in my early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, I had two single friends who were roommates and we talked a lot about how we could not find the right people to date. And I was probably less concerned about it than them, but they were pretty concerned and we were trying to, to solve a problem. And my friend Danielle said, all we need to find is a nucleus. And what she meant was that if we found one cool dude, he would be friends with other dudes and we could date those dudes. Like we were trying to find our match in, a, in a, an entire group. And as if one social man could be the gateway to a hundred other men that we could magically fall in love with. Now I laugh because everybody has dated and married and wound up with people who all these men might not befriend each other. I mean, they probably right. are nice enough to each other. But to us, it was this simple cheat. And I do think sometimes that could happen where friends in a group all sort of couple up and setups are made. But I think looking back, we thought we had found something magical. But in fact, it was like, no, Not but really I do him. think there's truth to it because it, it made me reflect back on my own life. And um, my husband and I at our engagement party, we had a kickball game to kick off our engagement. Right. And it was boys versus girls. And one of my best friends and one of and his best man, like his absolute best friend met at that kickball game and are now married with kids. So, so you're it, the it nucleus. is weird. We are the nucleus for yes. some people. And and I when I read that, I, I, there is some truth to that. And I know so many stories that are similar to that. And, you know, friends like friends and even, you know, people, they say that sometimes people end up with, um, you know, others they went to high school with years down the road. And so there's just different ways to meet people and whatever. But we do get a lot of, um, you know, love questions on this podcast all the time, people looking for love and also people not wanting to rely on love, people wanting to put work first. And then if love happens, it happens. And I just wanted to talk about this part in your book that I thought was so beautiful. I think it's one of the last chapters. Um, when your mom discusses with you how much how she spent so much of her time looking for love, and she realizes that it was her friends that kept her going and who loved her unconditionally, who made her laugh and cry. I, I'm wondering if you can expand on this just a bit, because I just thought her reasoning was so beautiful. And then she compliments you on how you did it right, focusing on the love of friendship and your 
response is so good. You say it's not easy to find both. It's so easy to get lost in one and miss out on the other. So we just have to do our best and be surrounded by good people. And this is my new mantra. I think that this is such a fantastic way to live because we can get so focused on our career. We can get so focused on all the dating apps and finding the right person. And I think if we just surround ourselves with good people, the nucleus or not, we will find ourselves happy. I think one of the big things that was so different about me and my mom was that she did focus on her love life and prioritize dating. And I watched her go through a lot with that, a lot of pain, a lot of disappointment and job, right? And so when I became a grown-up, I was like, I'm all in on job. I'm all in on writing. And I'm going to build this community of friends that will never let me down. And that community will only get bigger. And I really pushed dating to the side. Uh, you know, I was sad about my breakup, I, but all that stuff. But I really was like, the thing I need most is just friends. And when my mom got sick, we were really able to lean on my circle of people. And I think that's why she thought, well, you know, romantic partners aren't the be all end all. And look what you've done. You've made a whole world for us both to access. But that made me sad, too, because it isn't supposed to be one or the other. And you're, you know, I will never, ever not make family and friends and work probably like the, the middle of the core of my heart. But it doesn't mean that this other thing, this romantic thing is off limits. You don't only get one. So mm-hmm. I just, I think especially as I get older, I'm like, yeah, do, do prioritize whatever you want to prioritize, but it doesn't mean the other will never happen. And one, one thing I hear from letter writers is that they'll say, oh, well, you tell us all to lean on our friends. Well, some of us have trouble making friends. Some of us have trouble yeah. keeping friends. And that's okay, too. And you might have one to two people who are your friend circle, the the people you can count on for life. And you might find incredible companionship and partnership with a romantic partner. And you're doing it right, too. It's like there's room for all of these nuances I've learned. And I think we learn that from each other. Right. And that's why there we could endlessly discuss this because there is no one right way and there is no one answer and there is no one anything. I mean, everyone is different. Every relationship is different. And I mean, that's what makes the world go round. Right. But we get a lot of questions about writing and people write in a lot about entertainment and writing and, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I, I would you talk a lot about how music influences your writing. And I'm wondering if you could expand on that for a minute, because you say that whatever music you put on does influence your response to love letters. And so how how do you choose what to put on? What inspires you? All that good stuff. So if you're an advice columnist, imagine, and you put on a really wonderful, empowering Miley Cyrus song about a breakup, let's say, you might feel a certain way about somebody else's breakup. And this is what I learned really quickly doing the advice column. I would put on a power ballad and I would be sad for the letter writer. I would put on something uplifting and my advice would radically change. And I don't know if other people are so swayed by music and lyrics, but I realized I had to have complete silence because I would see things through the lens of music. (laughs) Music is powerful, which is so fun to think about too, because... It also just proves how powerful music can be when you're feeling down, when you when you need companionship. And but I have learned still to this day, no music whatsoever, <laughs> because I will feel up or down for the letter writer based on what I hear. And speaking about media and in, it influencing you, I have to discuss the Twilight references all over the book, because obviously, um, you know, 
I was on The Vampire Diaries, which was another vampire show. And my co-host for a very long time, Candace, was also on that show. And so we are big in the vampire community. And I just kept dying all the Twilight references and how you and your mother loved that movie so much. What is it about vampires? So I love vampires in general. So you don't have to tell me about The Vampire Diaries. Like this is... (laughs) And what I was actually thinking about this morning is that the Vampire Diaries started right around the time my column started. So most of my formative advice-giving years were spent watching The Vampire Diaries as well. Uh, You know, it was right around that time that... And uh, talk about a soundtrack that can put you in a mood. I mean, the songs on that show are... They can really sway a person to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. So I love vampires. And also, I, I have found, I think, especially... As my mom got sick and we were dealing with this, we found escape in in vampire media. We always had, but suddenly you have people who have eternal life and you have people who can come back, people who can be revived. Um, And it's this uh, feeling of safety. And it's I think there is also something about wish fulfillment of if I could only tell my younger self what I know now and these characters are trapped in the bodies of their younger selves. So they get to tell their their younger selves what they know now. So it's a really fascinating metaphor for life, for long relationships. Uh, you know, can I do this for eternity is a, is a real question in relationships. What, oh, is it, wow. what does eternity look like, right? And, and all different types of vampire media. I mean, Twilight being one of them, uh-huh. give us different models for what this looks like. And and the Vampire Diaries was always, I liked um, a, a sort of grittier, uh, like it's not all going to be sparkly and pretty. Like you have to deal with your inner trauma no matter in year 200 or year, uh, right. <laughs> or year whatever, it doesn't just go away. So right. it's been my best kind of therapy. But I did think like it's a, you know, that was a, I think about picturing myself writing those first years of columns. And that would have been exactly what I was watching. Wow, how beautiful that is. That's really cool. I, I love that. And I mean, I was obviously a, a fan of the show as well while I was on it. And then a Twilight fan too, and True Blood and all that good stuff. And there is something so you know, sexy about them living forever and knowing, knowing. And it's so interesting that you mentioned that they live forever and how you guys were dealing with death. And not a lot of people know this, but when I was killed off the show of The Vampire Diaries, my, I, I then found out my mother had breast cancer. And so I was dealing with that with her. And you just opened up a whole other layer for me of this, um, you know, going through playing a vampire someone who can live forever then dying on the show and then dealing with death with my mother and how there's just so many layers to it. And I see now um, my life from a completely different perspective. So Meredith, I'm telling you, you do have this way to open people up, well, <laughs> whether I, you want it or not. <laughs> I, I probably thought too much about this kind of thing, especially as an advice column who happen, a columnist who happens to like vampires. That's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of the middle of the Venn diagram, but that's really interesting to hear. And I think one of the, when I think about your character, like that's a great example of someone who comes back, right? And you get to, you get to explore this concept of, of who gets to, rest and who gets to return and uh gosh my mom and I did so much vampire watching (laughs) and I still do and you know what I have to commend you because so much of your um were you I think it was your early 30s right as you were caring for your mother Mm -hmm. and that is such a pinnacle part of life and and um you dedicated so much of those years 
to her. And it really is a beautiful love story to your mother as well, your memoir. And um, I, I didn't realize that it would become that. And it's just so beautifully written. And the way that you submit listener questions and answers throughout. I mean, it feels like we're in on the ride with you the whole time. And um, I could have listened to it over again. I thought it was so fantastic. I'm not just saying that. I thought it was so lovely. Um, And I have to ask you about this cotton candy machine because you guys, Meredith has a cotton candy machine. It has been a huge part of her life for years now and you still have it. What do you think it represents? Because I, I have a theory, but I'm curious. So when I turned 30, I bought myself a cotton candy machine. I love cotton candy. I love the experience of how it feels and looks and tastes. And just it makes me feel like I'm at a carnival, which one could understand that. Yes. I think to me, the timing of it represented that so many friends in my 30s were having occasions, weddings, children, things that they could really mark as moments of progress and celebration. And I was really happy with the life that I'd Built, break up aside, but I was not, I was not really desperate to do a lot more than I was doing, but I still didn't know where that made me fit. So mm-hmm. I think one of the things I did was to say, I'm getting this thing for myself, despite the fact that it was very expensive, full size cotton, can- like carnival size, big <laughs> cotton candy machine, like picture that kind of thing. This thing's legit. <laughs> yes, very legit. And I wanted a moment to say like, okay, I might not be buying a house, getting married, having having these moments that were so easy to mark. But this will be the year that I bought my cotton candy machine. And what's hilarious is in the beginning, I think everybody was looking at me like, oh, she's she's maybe not, not thinking straight. But now my friends have little children. So I went from making the cotton candy at my friends' weddings to now making it for their children. And in 2020, when we were all locked down, me being able to go outside and make cotton candy for a bunch of kids that, you know, my friends' wow. kids was so beautiful. And I just thought the stories this cotton candy machine could tell, it was, it was bought as maybe a, a sign of my own independence. And in fact, now it connects me even more to my community. You know, this sounds like a weird thing to say about a cotton candy machine, but it is a tether to the people I love. No, it doesn't sound weird at all. And it sounds really beautiful and poetic. And I loved the stories of the cotton candy machine and um, how much it's given you in, in your lifetime. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And we're back. It's interesting because uh, I had a friend over this weekend who, um, ironically, was also one of the actors on The Vampire Diaries. And we were together and she's in L.A. shooting. And so she came over for dinner and we sat for a very long time and talked about how she's someone who uh, does not have kids and dedicated a lot of her life to her career. And uh, growing up, she always envisioned herself with a husband and kids and how happy she is now not having that and finding that happiness and feeling as if her her life could take one trajectory or the other and she could be happy with either. I think a lot of people can and it doesn't mean the route they choose is wrong. It's beautiful either way. It's just really cool that your friend learned that because I think it's it can feel like, oh, did I miss it? But now at this age, so many of my friends are like, well, thank goodness you didn't do that because I need you to babies. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I think it's it, there is a thing with society about how we have to hit all these specific milestones, right? Buy a house. Well, sometimes people are happy not buying a house and living in an apartment and renting. And when something breaks down, they have someone to call. I even yeah. have a friend who had the house and all the things and decided, nope, not for me, and then went back to renting. And so just because society has all these prerequisites doesn't mean we have to meet them. And sometimes people get married and then they aren't happy in their marriage. Yeah. Or they have kids and they regret it. And we have a whole episode about women without kids. And to be honest with you, I was very nervous to have that conversation. And then it's one of our most popular episodes because it's nice to have conversations about things that people don't really talk about all the time and are a bit taboo or there's these specifics that society expects of us. And if you don't meet them somehow, you're, um, you know, I don't know, you just aren't quote unquote successful when you are, you're mm. absolutely successful. In fact, I would argue that you're more successful because you understand what you need. Well, and more, I think it, so. it's all, it all, it's all success to me. And using that word is interesting because so many letter writers, when they write in, they'll say, oh, I have a failed marriage or a failed relationship. or fa oh, wow. And I never want to use that word because just because something ended doesn't mean it's a failure at all. Like even a marriage that is no longer what it was, was so important for the time that it was important and it evolves into something else. So same with the successes, like who knows, maybe I would have been an incredible parent. We'll never know. But I love the life I've built. I love being able to help my friends with kids. I have such admiration for how they do so much and shape so much. And I'm grateful mm. to them because it means my family, my chosen family gets to be that much bigger. Do you have any advice for someone who is at the crossroads trying to figure out which way they're, they're, they're meant to go or which way they will be happier or because this does seem to be a big question in life. And obviously, it's one of the biggest questions. Do you get married? Do you have children? Do you buy the house? Do you all those big life things? And, um, you know, sometimes people 
are searching for happiness and they don't know where to find it. And I just I find that people um, think that that may be the trajectory. But I want to have I want our listeners to know that they don't have to go that direction if they don't want to. I wish I could say that there's one way to figure out that internal compass of here's what I should do. But what I will say is be a journalist in that moment and do your reporting and get a look at a lot of different people. So many of us have friends who are just like us. So I did have a lot of journalists, women journalists in my circle who weren't having kids, who weren't getting married. And we all kind of looked the same. And then I had other friends who were, but I didn't feel like an outlier. And so if you think, oh, what will my life be if I don't pursue this route, well, go look at some people. It might not look like what you think it does. And then really talk to your friends who have kids. It's No one's going to be the example for everyone. But mm. I, I think I benefited growing up from having so many people around who had beautiful families. And then I had a cousin who was childless and having a good time. And she was always the person who could buy me a gift. And I was very <laughs> aware of that, that she always had a little disposable income and she was a little bit more fun and she was probably less exhausted. Now I appreciate all these other relatives were probably exhausted. And I just wanted to be exactly like her. She was so cool. So I think when you have positive examples too, it can make any path look pretty good. Mm. Oh, wow. Such great advice. Um, I mean, you have such great advice to give. And I know that people will want to write into love letters after this. Is it still a column that's going? And can we write in? The book is Can't Help Myself. The column is Love Letters. And you can absolutely write me all of your problems. And there's also a Love Letters podcast where people just tell the stories of <sighs> their misery and how they got out of it. And so it's just fully storytelling a lot of 30-somethings at a crossroads was, in that one. <laughs> I was going to ask you about um, Love Letters, the podcast, because is it, do you maintain that anonymity when, or do people, is it their choice? Can people choose to expose their name or not? We have some episodes where people say their full names and they're, they, you know, maybe they are already known to the world or other people, they'll choose a different first name and we will say that we are using a fake name, but it's real stories. So, so many people, you know, this season in particular is about money. And a lot of people had like secret debt from their spouse, or maybe they had so many student loans that they didn't know how to explain that on a date. And so some people were more likely to say, you know what, call me Jill. And that's not their real name. <laughs> oh, wow. But it is their real voice, correct? It's their real voice and their real story. And I'm so grateful to it because when we talk about doing your research about other paths, other ways to do life, all of these people telling their stories give me different ways to find happiness. Uh, you know, they help me through mistakes I have made and don't want to think about. And it, it's it's been really great because with a letter, you are limited to like a few hundred words and an answer. With this, I get to sit down with these people and from start to finish, they tell me everything. So, oh, I, it's going to be so good. I can't wait to listen. So, Love Letters, the podcast, Love Letters, the column, Can't Help Myself, the book. You guys, Meredith is everywhere. Huh. Just <laughs> consume all the media that she gives. Um, yeah. I know everyone's going to want to follow you. So, what are your socials? Meredith Goldstein on Instagram. There you go. She's on Insta. So you can check her out too. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank I truly lo absolutely loved listening to your book all week. It it made my, it, it was the highlight uh, after I dropped my daughter off at preschool, I would just put on can't help myself. And uh, you know, it was just really enjoyable. So um, it's also available on Audible. You guys, you can um, listen to it during carpool if that's the life that you chose. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs>
well, now I just really want some cotton candies. <laughs> that sounds amazing. But, um, you know, Meredith Goldstein is so lovely because she paints the picture for you while you are reading or in my case, listening to her memoir. And um, love is important. It really is. And I just love the idea that it can come in so many different forms. And um, the way you give love could be as simple as the cotton candy machine, making it for your friend's kids. I highly recommend listening or reading to Can't Help Myself. And if any of you end up writing into love letters, will you please DM me on Instagram? Instagram is directionally challenged underscore. And we want to hear what you write and if she writes back, because um, what a wonderful community to be a part of. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. We have another great one coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions, hosted by me, Kayla Yule. Produced by Melissa DeMonts and Diamond Imprint Productions. Editing by Diane Kang. Post-production sound by Coco Lawrence. And production assistance by Melanie D. Watson. 